Amen. Now, as I already mentioned, this is Palm Sunday. And just as Christians throughout the world are partaking of the elements as we just did, they're also celebrating this particular day. In fact, this week is one is sometimes referred to as Holy Week because all of the events that we can celebrate that point to what happens at the very end of the week. In fact, the purpose for Jesus coming. And, and as we look, as I looked at this section of scripture about Palm Sunday, there was one question that really jumped out at me. And it might be a weird question to you, but it said, who is this? Who is this? That's a question that we not only see here in the text, but, but actually was asked several different times, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But really what it is about is, who is Jesus, and why should I care? Two of the questions that we hope everybody starts to ask and receive the answer for. So let's take a look in our text. We're going to look in Luke 19. Most of what we're going to talk about comes from Luke. All four of the Gospels talk about the events of this final week and talk specifically about the Palm Sunday. That's not always true of every story. And one of the the reasons I I like to to talk about, hey, when you read Scripture, make sure to look at other Scripture that relates to it because you get a kind of a fuller picture of things. But we're going to mostly stay in Luke today. So here's what it says starting in verse 28. It says, after Jesus said this, he went up ahead, going to Jerusalem. Now, now we're going to stop. I'm going to start and stop, yes. But, but uh, he said, well, it says, after Jesus said this, what did he just say? And if you look at the text before this, he was just teaching some important concepts to the people. In fact, the last story he talks about in Luke has to do with someone, a, a king who gives different amounts of money or gifts to different people. And, and it's really about how they utilize that and about one who does not utilize it at all. And of course, he's, he's really pointing to the leaders at this point who did not understand who Jesus was and, and why he came. So it says, after Jesus said this, he went up ahead going to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany, the, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now, we'll see in the text that this wasn't just a colt of a horse, it was actually of a donkey, and there's specific reasons why this happened. Now, so he Tells his disciples to do it, and what do the disciples do? I like this part, I really do. It says, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Now, now why do I like that? I mean, it says, go do this, and it says, they did it using almost the same words. I like it because they listened and they obeyed. And, And I recognize for myself I get in trouble when God talks and I don't listen. There's an old commercial. And yes, I'm old, so I think about things sometimes and past things that I've seen. And, and it was a commercial, and, and, and one of them was this big restaurant, and there's all this noise and people are talking. And at one table, they're starting to talk about financial things. And one guy says, well, my broker's E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and immediately what happens? Quiet. 
I want to know what E.F. Hutt says. And of course, that's indicating they're the experts, right? Well, the same is true with Jesus. When Jesus speaks, the crowds listen because they heard something that was different from what they heard from the Pharisees, from their own teachers. And for myself, I know when I hear Jesus talk, I know what I need to do. But unfortunately, not always do I do it. So I I love the story that when Jesus says it, we do it. And so that's a key point for my own life. Then it goes on and says, they brought it to Jesus. So they brought the colt. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, the reason we call this Palm Sunday is what some of the other gospels say. And if you look here, Matthew talks about they took tree branches. Mark says they took branches from the field. And John specifically said they took palm branches. Now, this was something that would be done when you had a dignitary that was approaching. You would lay down this off the... So they don't have to walk on the dirty road, right? So they're putting down... They didn't have pavement. You know, I I like walking one of the creeks there, the side that has the pavement, because that's so much easier to walk on than the other side that has all the dirt, the rocks. But so they they were honoring the coming of this dignitary by putting their own cloaks and putting down these palm branches. And they're indicating that this is a very special, important person. It says, When they came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, just before this, there was actually one of the most spectacular miracles, which was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so there was many who were there still who had seen this and now were coming there because they were coming to celebrate the Passover, which was going to happen on that Thursday. So it said they began, the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they'd seen. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So as they're seeing Jesus coming, they're recognizing something about him. In fact, that's, that's one of the reasons that Christians celebrate Palm Sunday. And, and sometimes you might have been in a larger church or church that did a play act, right? Where they might have act, an actual donkey come in and somebody riding on it. They have the children put the palm branches in front of there. If you, if you don't have that kind of room, you might have somebody who's, who wears some kind of indicator that they're riding on a donkey. I, I've seen all kinds of different play acts there. But they're indicating, hey, Jesus is our king and highlighting the fact that we're to worship him and follow him. And the people recognized, at least those who were disciples who had followed him, recognized this aspect of him. But they actually get some things wrong. Matthew adds to this at this point in time, and he says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This actually comes from Zechariah 9.9. In fact, Zechariah 9 is really about the, the enemies of Israel being put down, being punished, and about how the Messiah, how the king is going to come and restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel. 
Now, now think about it. If you were in that time period and you have gone through all the lessons of the rabbis, you had done a lot of study about the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon. Those were the glory years. You know, maybe you like a particular sports team that hasn't been doing well for a long time. But when you get together with people who like that particular team, what do you do? Sometimes you go, hey, remember back in 69? Oh, we won the World Series. That Wasn't that a great event? You, know, you look back at the glory thinking, hey, this is great. Maybe we're not doing so good now, but boy, boy, we were really great once. Well, the nation of Israel had been raised with the lessons about the great kingdom of David, how they, it wasn't just a, a political kingdom, but it, they had lots of wealth, and people came to, to basically to, to them because they were the powerhouse. And the people were expecting that to happen. When we talked about the Messiah, they were talking about someone who's going to restore that kind of political kingdom to this nation so we wouldn't be downtrodden any longer. No longer would the Romans be in control or any of these other nations that have been in control. We're going to finally get our independence. We're going to get our freedom. So it's no wonder when people saw Jesus... They, they started to see the miracles he performed. They heard the, the parables that he taught. They heard the lessons he taught. They started to see and put their hope in him and say, finally, is this going to happen? This could be the Messiah. This could be our opportunity. We're no longer going to be drought, downtrodden. This is a great thing. And this excitement started to overwhelm. And it all culminated here in what's called sometimes a triumphal entry or what happens on Palm Sunday. But not everybody was happy. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they, try, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You see, the Pharisees, they, they could have been looking at this a couple different ways. One was, well, hey, we're in charge of this. We don't want any, anyone coming in and disturbing the way things are for us. We're the number one leadership here. Um, hey, Jesus, quiet the people down. That You're not that great, okay? But they also could be worrying about the response of the Roman Empire. They had been given some autonomy because they were kind of serving Rome. And, and if there was a disturbance, they were afraid that the Roman army would come in and, and quash it and maybe even put them under more control than they were. But I think that the Pharisees were more in tune with the idea of their own power that they wanted to keep and didn't want somebody else coming in there trying to take that away from them. And so Jesus, though, told them, hey, you can try to stop what's going to happen, but guess what? Even the stones would cry out. There's no way to stop what's about to happen. The last part of that, he says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. You see, Jesus, in the midst of this adulation, can you imagine your team just won the Super Bowl? And you go, oh, that's a good thing. No, no, you're, you're jumping up and down. I could just see Craig just screaming, hollering, and jumping around, having fun. You know, you're, you're excited. And in the midst of this excitement, Jesus sees sorrow. Not for himself, but for the fact that th this opportunity, you know, 
it's presented to them and they don't recognize really what's going on. In fact, he's looking at the history, how they, they didn't even listen to all the prophets, that God continually came to his nation to try to show them what was about to happen, to try to help them come back to him, and they kept rejecting them. In fact, it wasn't a very good uh, longevity if you were a prophet in, in Israel. Many of the prophets suffered tremendous things because of the fact that they spoke truth to power. And the people did, or the, the leadership didn't like that. And so Jesus wept because he recognizes, you know, we're in this sad state because of the rebellion of the people. But at the same time, he was there to free not only the nation of Israel, but all mankind so that we could be united with God in the way he wanted to originally do that. You know, it's, what Jesus is about to do wasn't a, really a secret. In fact, if you go back all the way to Genesis, when man and woman decided to do something that was told them they shouldn't do, and they suffered the consequences, God pointed to the one who was the tempter, Satan, and said, hey, you know what? One day will come. You might bite this person's heel, but he's going to crush your head. And that's Jesus, the Son of God. And this is the time when that's about to happen. Matthew 21 then goes on and kind of adds to this and says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So you see, when it talked about the, entering the city, it talked about his disciples. So there was a, a large group of people who recognized at least that this Jesus, who was a miracle worker, who, who taught like no others, was a special person. But there were others who, who didn't know what was going on. Now, there was no Facebook or Twitters or even New York Times or San Jose Chronicles to be able to help get the word out there. So it was by word of mouth. So it, it's, it's natural that some people didn't quite know what was really happening. But you see, the people at first said, hey, here's the king that come, and now recognize Jesus as the prophet. Who do people say that I am? Earlier in Luke 9, this question came up. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, at this point, John the Baptist had been killed, beheaded, and said, well, maybe it's John the Baptist come back again, because John the Baptist was was this great proclaimer of truth. And they said, well, others say you're Elijah, or still others, one of the prophets of long ago that's come back to life. All of those were wrong. (laughs) And then he has to ask the disciples, well, If that's what the people are saying about me, who do you say I am? Peter, good old Peter, Peter was like, he'd jump in there with the answer. He was like the the class member if you were in class. And every time the teacher asked a question, they were answering the question before you could even get your mouth open, right? Well, Peter just jumps into it. He says, you're God's Messiah. In fact, in Matthew's account, it talks about how Jesus said, well, that proclamation is what I'm going to build my church on. And and, and so Peter says, hey, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. But what does that mean? And we're going to see that Peter didn't quite get it totally correct. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. In other words, the the coming king 
to restore the kingdom of God or to bring in the kingdom of God, but didn't quite understand how that was to happen. In fact, right after this, it was Peter that, that, uh, or Jesus that, that told them about this, what was going to happen. He says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and must be killed and on the third day be raised, raised to life. And if you look over the account of Matthew, Peter goes, wait a minute, and he takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, Jesus, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. You know, the Messiah comes in and he kicks all these people out. You know, may it never be. And, and that's where Jesus says to Peter, Satan, get behind me. In other words, rejecting the purpose for my coming. I'm pushing that away. And, and maybe at that point, Peter kind of calmed things down a little bit and, and didn't want to take the step of jumping into their things right away. But see, Peter understood he was the Messiah, but didn't understand the implications for that and what that all meant. He was looking for an earthly king as the rest of the nation was, but instead they were getting an opening to the heavenly kingdom of what Jesus was bringing by bringing salvation. Three times in Luke, Jesus actually says specifically, hey, this is what's about to happen and talks about his death. The third time is just before our event in Luke 19. It says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples, it says, did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, now we saw earlier, Peter understood the words Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to be killed. But Peter said, no, no, that's not how it's supposed to happen. I've read through those texts about the Messiah. The Messiah is restoring the kingdom of David. How can you say that you're going to die? You're the Messiah. And so they didn't take what was happening and understand it correctly because they had a preconceived notion about who this Messiah was supposed to be. We even see, and one of the reasons when I talk about my biology and hermeneutics class, that, that I know the Bible is the authoritative word of God, is what all of these prophets talk about. It says, hey, it is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, all these will be fulfilled. And if we look throughout there, all the prophecies about the Messiah do come true here in the person of Jesus, the place he was born, the fact that he would then have to be in Egypt for a while, and just on and on and on. It points exactly to Jesus, like a thousand little lights all focusing in on one spot. It all relates to who Jesus was. This prophecy, which was made hundreds and thousands of years before the event, Show to me that Scripture really is God's Word, and I can put my trust in it. Now, I don't want to go there yet. See, see, what we see, though, is that there are differences in who people say Jesus is. Who is this? Is he just a prophet? Is he a good moral teacher? There are many out there that say this. I, I know some, some who are more into Eastern thought patterns that said, 
It, well, you know, we don't believe in any of that stuff that Christianity teaches about this, this Messiah and rising from the dead. Kind of, but, but Jesus, he was a good moral teacher, just like Buddha. There's others that say, well, well, they used to say he was just a myth. You know, they, they made up this whole thing so they could make up this new religion. But, of course, people don't talk about it. Even atheists don't mention the fact he was a myth because there's too much evidence that he actually existed in the time period that he talks about and the events that occurred there, the people that, they, that the Bible talks about are all true. They all are there at least. So there's historical reliability that we have there. But there's others that say, well, well maybe everyone just misunderstood what Jesus said, that, that he really wasn't, you know, he wasn't the, the son of God. He never said, in fact, I've talked to people either in cults or other religions who said, well, he never said he was God. And of course, I, I whip out my Bible and we, we can start to go through that if they're ready to listen to that. What's interesting is that even, um, I almost had a, some Mormon missionaries come to my house on Thursday. It happened four or five times where we make appointments, they don't show up. I think I, Craig says I'm on a list. Don't go to this guy's house. But I even have in the Book of Mormon, there's four passages I point to, and every one of them is consistent talking about there's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But yet, some of the other kinds of teachings that are in there don't talk about it that way. But but we see that, that a lot of people have different definitions of who this Jesus is. But the important part is, who do you see Jesus is? Who do you say he is? And is that consistent with what Scripture revealed to us. There's a, a great book. It's one of the probably dozen books that I've recommended every Christian read. It's an older one. It's Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Really, really good book. And in it, there's this idea of liar, lunatic, or Lord. And so I, I want to just read this, this section to you, okay, from his book. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, when you look at the evidence, and we talk a lot about evidence in some of the classes I teach, you come to the conclusion that Jesus really was who he said he was. And, and this week, as we start to celebrate, we start with this Palm Sunday where Jesus enters in, and yes, he reveals himself as the king, because it, it fits with prophecy. He reveals himself as a prophet, but he is so much more than that. He, he's actually the author and perfecter of our salvation. He's actually the one who pays the penalty of our sin 
and opens the door for us to have that intimate relationship with God that, that our sin did not allow us to. And he breaks that rebellious streak in us so that we can now be obedient to him and what he's called us to do. You know, we, we could always stop there. Oh, I'm so excited about what Jesus did. And we're singing songs about how, how God brought him forth for us and how his death and burial and resurrection brings us new life. And, and we could just be like a, a, a sports team that's celebrating the victory. But there's more for us to do. You see, our job isn't just to enjoy our salvation and, and wait for the end to come. You know, there, there were some people we see in the Bible who, who did that when they recognized, oh, Jesus is coming again. We'll just sit here on the mountaintop and just wait for him, okay? No, there's a job for us to do, and that is to be with our fellow man, our, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, our friends, and be that light and example of who Jesus was and to proclaim him in every means possible so that they might have that opportunity to hear, to believe, and to receive. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are so grateful that you didn't allow us to, to stay in our sin, to keep separated from you, but that you opened a door for us through Jesus Christ, your Son. And Father, as I, I really contemplate on this, it, it boggles my mind, Lord. All that you've done for us and the recognition, God, is that, that there's so much more for me to do. And I pray for all of us, God, that, that you open our eyes to the opportunities that exist around us. That you maybe even use, help us to use this week to, to talk to others, God, about why we celebrate, why we you know, talk about the Palm Sundays and, and Easter Sundays and Resurrection Sundays, God, is, is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, it's time, right? It's time to get out there and and do something. And, And there's many opportunities for us to do that. And so it's really a matter of putting our mindset on the things above, not just on the things of the earth, so that we can help others come to him. And that's what our missional communities that you heard about is all about, finding ways to be in our, our, our world in smaller groups so that we can share who we are and what we believe so they can have that opportunity. There's many, many, many of these that are available to us, and I just encourage you to, to go to be God's presence in your world. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. And remember, Good Friday's coming. <laughs> And Sunday, we get to celebrate his resurrection. So hope to see you on Friday. God bless you all.